welcome, welcome, welcome. I'd like to welcome everybody here on Newburgh Campus, West Campus, and Facebook Live. Uh, guys, I say this a lot, but may we never lose the wonder of being here. Uh, last night I walked into this building and I felt the same powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that I felt the very first time I walked in. And I thought to myself, you know, Rick, you did not come to this church to bring the Holy Spirit, but rather you came to join in the Holy Spirit, to join his efforts here. And I'm so grateful for this place. Hey, you might be wondering, what, what's with all the red X's? Why is everybody, you know, have we all joined a punk band? I mean, what's going on? Hey, <laughs> I just want to tell you that this Thursday, February 22nd, is shine a light on Slavery Day. What we're trying to do is end human trafficking in this country and in all the countries around the world. We want to see it done. On Thursday, they're asking if you would write a red X on your hand, take a picture of it, and put it out on mass media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you have, to kind of say, we're not going to stand for this anymore. Uh, help us support the work of the people on the ground, around the world, as they bring rescue, restoration, and prevention. So just to wear your red X on Thursday, if you need more information, go to endit.com movement, enditmovement.com rather. And let me, let me pray for that and pray for us this morning. Father, what a great church, what a great people, and what an amazing God. Uh, we love you and we worship you and praise you, God. And sometimes we, as a church, as a people, as a people of God, stand in the midst of a very confusing and confused world. Things like slavery going on, things, that, uh, things like school shooting, God, things that should not happen. Father, we ask that you would come, that you would bring your kingdom, that you would take this world over, Lord. We just love you and worship you and praise you. It's, it's not what I have to say, but what you have to say. So would you do us the privilege, the honor of coming and speaking this morning through your word, for we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. My title today is Choosing Sides, and I kind of want to say from the very beginning that it's not my intention today, nor would it ever be my intention to, to offend anyone, but... There are some offensive things that are going on in our culture, and I want to discuss that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that these are things that we need to bury, but things we need to get out and ask ourselves, all right, we live in a kind of a confused world. How do we live in a confused world? How do we look like Jesus? So my goal is to offer a few suggestions as how we can live where we are right now, a world that makes us uncomfortable, a world that sometimes seems to lack common sense or morality, but nonetheless, the world that we live in. How can we exist in today's society? And not only can, can, how can we exist, but how can we be the shining light that God has called us to be in this dark place? And perhaps even how can we thrive? How can we enjoy it? Well, today we're going to continue walking through the book of 1 Peter. Now, Peter was a close friend of Jesus. All of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is God-breathed. But I love like things from John or Peter because they were, they were essentially Jesus' best friends while he was on earth. He called them his friends. So when I read from Peter, I just get this sense that here's a guy out of everybody who really knew the heart of Jesus as he was a man on this earth. Here, here's what Peter writes. Here's how he begins his letter, if you'll remember. 1 Peter 1, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's how it says in the New Living Translation. 
This, this is what it says in the NIV. Notice in the, in the other translation, he said they're living as foreigners. Here Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. The foreigners in exile. Peter is Peter's talking about a dispersion, a scattering of Jews and Christians that had taken place under persecution, but it goes far beyond that. Christians remain dispersed or misplaced people even today. The fact is that if you are a Christian, then you are not really home yet. If you can kind of keep that in mind, it'll make being here a little bit easier. I don't even know if you've ever gone on a trip and maybe it didn't always go the way you want it. So you just kind of started counting off days until you got home. Anybody ever done that? You're just, maybe you're on some business trip or I remember going to camps before and just thinking, okay, I'm literally counting down the days. It's Monday. I'm going home Thursday. All right. It's Tuesday. Only four more days. I wasn't home and we are not home here. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews refers to the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. By the way, Hebrews chapter 11 is a, is a hall of fame, a hall of fame of faith. If you got your name in Hebrews chapter 11, then you are one of the heroes of the Bible. Listen to what it says about those people. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. They never got it while they were here. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on this earth. The same language that Peter is using. God's hall of famers knew this world wasn't really theirs. Obviously the people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. I was born and raised in Bellevue, Kentucky. I know where it is. If I want to go there, I can go back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly home. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They lived here, but they were foreigners, even in their own countries. They were never satisfied, but always looking forward to a, a, a heavenly place, to go home, to be with the Lord. And I say that this morning because I want to say this to you. If you are not content to be here, if you watch CNN or Fox News or, or go to Facebook or go to Instagram or go to Twitter and you're just like, I am so discontent, you're not alone. If you're a person who's called upon Jesus to pay for all of your sins, if you said, God, the best I know how I believe you love me and died for all the crazy things I've done wrong, I need you to be my savior. If you've called upon him to be your savior, then you are an exile in this land. That doesn't mean there can't be great joy and peace where you are, but where you are is not where you ultimately belong. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Make no mistake, but that day is not today. We're living under foreign rule. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Peter goes on in 1 Peter to put it this way, and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. There's a place that I'm going to go, and when I get there, it's going to be amazing. It's an inheritance. The world we live in seems to be in constant confusion, doesn't it? 
Now, let me give you a couple of examples that'll help you readily identify with what I'm talking about. I was recently in a, in a coffee shop, no shocker there, but I was talking to this dad who comes in with his, two of his boys and they, they always chat together and then they break off. He studies, they get on their, their laptops. And he said, what are you preaching about this weekend, Rick? And I told him, I said, well, I'm preaching about being exiles in, in, this, in this country. And he said, he and I came to this conclusion, it's the word tolerant. You hear that word all the time, tolerant. Tolerant means we will tolerate anything except Christianity. I don't know if you've realized that or not. I will get on a plane and I will sit with somebody who's not a Christian. I will start talking with them about Jesus and they'll start telling me how intolerant I am and they're so intolerant of who I am. And I just keep saying, man, my job is to love you and to tell you about a God that loves you. But somehow I'm the bad guy. Well, this dad told me about one of his sons is a sixth grader, and I'm not going to tell you what school he goes to out of respect for that school, but it's within five miles of this church. And he said at the beginning of the year, why does everybody laugh? That doesn't tell you where a lot of schools. All right, anyway. So he started telling me at the beginning of the year that they separated, that this school wanted to, for, to separate the boys from the girls for assemblies. And he said that they told all the boys to sit on one side and all the girls to sit on, on the other side. And he said, he said, trying to decipher how true is how accurate his son's story was but four to six of the boys refused to go to the girl's side because they did not want to identify with their gender these are sixth graders who didn't want to say i'm a boy folks there's a huge part of our country that says oh isn't that beautiful there's a large part of our country that would be furious about that Confusion. What has happened to us as a nation that seems allows and even encourages young children to be so confused? Why isn't our society culture affirming to a young man or a young woman, hey, this is who you are. This is how God makes you. He loves you and adores you. If transgender is beautiful, then why is the suicide rate amongst transgenders 40%? Drastically higher than the general population. Why so much confusion and pain allowed to happen or even encouraged amongst innocent children? We're not home. If a Christian or even a non-Christian dare to say, that's wrong. We are in danger, folks. We are in danger from everything from being obliterated on mass media, called names, being fired, or even finding ourselves in physical danger. Tim Allen, a well-known comedian and actor, played an outspoken conservative on the sitcom Last Man Standing. Tim is one of the few actors in Hollywood that professes to having very conservative leanings. And even despite being the number two ranked sitcom, interestingly enough, right behind Modern Family, Last Man Standing was recently canceled. On the Jimmy Kimball show, Tim said that living in Hollywood was like living in Nazi Germany. He was quoted as saying this. You got to be real careful around here. You get beat up if you don't believe what everybody else believes. This is like 30s Germany. Only now it's not the Jewish people who are in danger. It's the Christian person who is in danger. There are things going on in this world that most people hate and abhor, no matter what side of the political or spiritual fence you're on. Such as the recent school shootings in Florida that left 17 dead. How can someone be so twisted as to shoot innocent children, children made in God's image? I will never understand that, but I'm not, I'm not home. 
There are so many examples I could use to show you that we're in a state of confusion and opposition and often anger. And to choose a side is to choose an enemy. I, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have lost friends through mass media, social media. I've got, I've got young people who would identify, I would identify them as almost like my children who will not talk with me because of righteous, what I believe, moral, scriptural, spiritual stance that I have taken. Relationship that after years have ended which I, I don't understand how someone can profess Christ and profess a, a, a leaning towards such perversion so often. I, don't, I, I will never understand that. Now, before I go on, I need to stop here and say that we are called to love and actually care about everyone around us. You will not hear a message of hate from this stage. I will not encourage you to go buy a sign and carry it around the street that says God hates. Listen, if God hated it, then you and I would have never had a chance. God absolutely loves this world. Jesus said, I did not come in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. You will not hear me preach a message of hatred because hatred is not of God. Look what Romans chapter 5 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Remember what you used to do before you came to know Jesus? I'm not throwing up any roadblocks for somebody to come to Christ. I'm not going to walk in the door and say, you're so filthy, you're so foul, I can't be around you. Rather, I'm going to walk up and say, hey, let me tell you what I love about you. Let me tell you what I admire about you, but let me tell you what God wants for you. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Folks, there was a day when we were all hopelessly lost, but loving, caring, saving God did not give up on us. Let there be that same day for, in future for all without Jesus. But nonetheless, we are exiles in this land. God has called us to stay here, to reside in this foreign land while conducting the works of Christ, work of Christ. Here we are. What do we do? Listen, I, I, I wish, I, I really wish that the moment I had said, Jesus, the best I know how, I believe you love me and died on the cross to pay for my sins. I wish before I had opened my eyes, I had been translated into heaven, but I was not. I was not left here to create a country club for Christians. I was not left here so that I could not know anybody else but people who know Jesus. I was left here to take that message to the world. You and I exist to tell other people about Jesus. We exist to be God's representatives. We exist to love and to care and to look so much like Jesus. How can we exist in this world? Not only exist, but how can, how can we be that shining light that God has called us to be? How can we thrive in today's society? Well, let's allow God's word to answer that. I believe in 1 Peter chapter 3, which is where we are this morning, the mainstay. I believe that Peter answers that question for us. Listen to the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? I remember we talked about being smeared all over, being fired, we're in danger. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you your hope, and as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see that what a good life you, 
you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. There's so much in there. Peter actually lays out a pretty simple but very doable formula. His world was filled with Roman and Jewish persecution. He himself was in exile. In fact, Peter would be crucified upside down. But he remains as an exile, and to this day, he speaks to us modern-day exiles. Allow me to lay out his very simple biblical formula for us today. The very first thing Peter says is, don't worry. Two pretty easy words to say from a stage, aren't they? Don't worry. So So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Uh, Those are easy words to say, but is that possible? How do I live in a world that seems void of morality, a world that seems to hate me for wanting to do the right thing? How do I live in a world where I'm suffering for doing good? Is that possible? My answer is a resound absolutely. It is possible to live a life without fear because even though I am not in control, God is. Look what Psalms 46 says. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, the mountains crumble to the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. The psalmist says, you know what? Let it all fall apart because God is still in control. There are so many, so many things, so many signs we take, so many things that we want to chant. We want to be social justice warriors on Facebook, and we want to take this message to the world. And God is saying, listen, ultimately, I am in control, and it will be all right. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When the entire world seems to be falling apart, when even all of nature seems to stand against us, God is our strength. You just got to believe that. He is our refuge. When I can't seem to go on, that's okay. He will go on for me. So often, folks, we feel like if I don't change it, it'll never get changed. Listen, all God's asking you to do is do what you can do and allow him to do what you cannot. I'm called to do right, even if that means I suffer persecution, but ultimately God is in control. Verse 6, he says, the nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. Anybody watch CNN or Fox News? That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders. The earth melts. I love verse 7. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. When there's chaos and evil seems to rule, then it's God's armies that will deal with that. Guys, sometimes if you worry too much, it's just because you worry too much. I mean, we we really get this self-righteous stand that if I don't fix it, I am God's watchman. God doesn't need you to be his watchman. He's God. His armies are present. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just put it in God's hands and say, Lord, I've done all I could. Now you take care of it. I'm not going to worry. If you worry and I worry, it's because we choose to worry. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. It's not on my shoulders. 
I can't change the entire world and get everyone thinking the way I do, that's okay. Ease up, Facebook warriors. That's up to God and his hosts of heaven, not me and not you. Listen, God would have me do what I can, but what I cannot do, that's up to him. Maybe you can't change everything in your family. Maybe you can't change everything at work. Maybe you can't even change everything at church. That's up to God. You can't change society or the things that you hate so desperately. Pray about those things. Give those things to God and understand that the, the, that the Lord's army is amongst us. There have been times in my life when I wanted to worry. I felt obligated to worry. But at some point I had to stop and leave it up to God. I, I, I've used this example before, but, when, but it came to my mind. When my daughter was just a baby, I worried so much when she was sleeping. I, I had this intense fear of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. I would get up several times a night and check on her. I would stand over her until I could just see her tiny little chest raise up and go back down. I'd say, okay, okay, she's breathing. I, I did this several nights for a couple of months, and I was not sleeping I was so tired, I was cranky, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't overcome this fear. Finally, I remembered and I believe Psalms chapter 46, where the psalmist writes, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. He's God, I'm not. I will be honored by every nation, I will be honored through all the world. Just be still, relax. Chill out. Ease up. I'm God. My armies are here. It's, so, it's okay, Rick. I did all I could do. I made sure the temperature was cozy in the room. I, I had a fan blowing because I read somewhere that that drastically reduced uh, SIDS. Then I said, God, I can't be up all night. I can't live under constant worry. So I put Katie in your hands. God, you're going to be up all night anyway. So would you please watch over her? Then you know what I did? I went to sleep. I was still and I knew that he was God. I left in his hands. When you are lying awake at night wondering what you can do, when you're terrified of what tomorrow brings, when you're so anxious that you've lost your very appetite and ability to sleep, then remember the words of the psalmist, Psalms chapter 43. Why am I, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Why am I worried? Jesus is powerful. He's amazing. And he's so in love with you and me. Our God is a God who cares so much that he was willing to leave heaven and dwell amongst us. My daughter is 24 now. I remember asking a dad one time, when do you stop worrying about your daughter? And he said, never. My daughter's 24 next month, and she's married to a great Christian man. So you'd think, Rick, there couldn't be anything else to worry about. Well, I just recently found out that she's pregnant. I'm going to be a grandpa. Yeah, you clap, but it starts all over, doesn't it? I took her out to lunch this past week, and she literally listed out the top four issues that I have in my life and drastically need to change. Then I mentioned that she was pregnant. <laughs> Women have no idea how hard pregnancy can be on a man. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Step one, don't worry. 
Do all you can and leave the rest to God. We are to be God's answer to our confused world. Let that settle in for We are to be God's answer to our confused world. You're it. Isn't that great? It's all on you. I'm it. They ought to look at me and see Jesus. They ought to look at me and see a guy. They ought to look at you and see a guy or a woman that absolutely is absolutely in love with God and is so in love with God that they're absolutely in love with the world around them, the people in the world around them. Maybe not the things that people are doing, but the things that people do are not the people. The way I was able to sit in, in rooms with drug dealers and drug addicts and people that were doing things that were intolerable was I kind of saw that as stuff that was on top of them. I saw, I saw all this junk, but that was just junk that could just be scraped away. And underneath you had the most beautiful thing in the world that God loved enough to die for. That, that's what people are. All of them, all of them, all of them. What about step number two? We're to be God's answer to a confused world. Let them see the confidence we have in God. But, but Peter has step number two for us. He says, make Christ the center. He literally says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. Allow me to use an Old Testament verse to say this in simple, uh, uh, very simple in a plain way. I have often said that the Old Testament illustrates the principles of the New Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet Elijah finds himself in a society that's very much like ours. It's very anti, let's call it Christian. It was very anti-Jehovah. It was very anti the true God. The rulers of that country had, had, had said, you can't even worship God publicly. If you mention God in school, work, uh, you, you can be executed. Children were of little value, much like today, sold into slavery, killed before they even take a breath. Some would choose to sacrifice their children, their children a child on an offer to a false god named Baal. They would heat Baal up, a statue of this false god, till his hands were red hot. And they thought if they took their son and put that baby in, the, in that god's hands, and it died, that that sacrifice would ensure that they would have an amazing life, that their crops would grow, that they would have many, many more children. Children were of little value. And God says, Elijah, you go talk to the people. And you ask him this question. God's man, Elijah, goes before the people and he asks this simple question. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Then Elijah stood before them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? Next slide. If the Lord is God, Follow him. How, how amazing are those simple words? Elijah just stands before this very immoral people that had turned their back on God, a society that no longer worships and elevates God. And he said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. If I say don't take the Lord's name in vain, most of you would think I would immediately be saying don't cuss. Don't use God's name in conjunction with a swear word. I don't think that is at all what God means by don't take the Lord's name in vain. I think it means don't tell people you're a Christian if you absolutely don't look like a Christian. Stop dragging God's name through the mud. 
Don't tell people that you're a Christian, but you're pro-murdering innocent babies. Don't tell God you're a Christian, but you're pro-things that you know the Bible absolutely condemns. He stands up before the people and says, look, make a choice. If you don't want to follow God, then don't. But if you want to follow God, then man up and do it. Woman up and do it. How long will you hobble? Either follow God or get out of the boat, but just just make a choice. Because if you don't, you're confusing the rest of the world. Your mom and dad cannot do that for you, folks. Either you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you don't. Your pastor and your teacher can't do it for you. Only you can decide to make Christ the Lord of your life. And that's what Peter said. You want to exist in this world? Then you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You make him the sinner. Each individual must choose to allow God and his word to dictate the choices that they make in this dark world. To make it a brighter place where the love of Christ shines or to embrace the darkness and the evil that is so prevalent. If the Lord is your God, then follow him. Time to man up or woman up and start looking just like Jesus, to study his word, to actually allow it to share your li- shape your life and how you treat others, to actually say, oh, I'm a part of this great commission. I'm a part of going out in the world. Well, church, God, what do I do? How do I help? Where do I serve? I'm in. I'm on the boat. Let's go. That's what Elijah was saying to these people. We are to be God's answer to a confused world. Let them see that he is the Lord of our lives. We will stand strong on the principles of his word. And we will not back down and we will not apologize. We are God's answer to this confused world. We will stand strong on the principles of his word. Well, let's, let's look at Peter's third and final step in the formula. Third, he says, be ready. He says, and if someone asked you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, <clears throat> I said this last week on our West Campus, but it bears repeating today. God is always looking for men and women who buy into the Great Commission 100%. There is hope and salvation in Jesus alone. God, Peter is saying, look, you tell people why you still have joy in a dark world. You tell people about a God that loves them no matter what they've done. You, you stand strong and you be ready. And you, they're going to come to you and say, how can you have joy and peace here? Well, let me tell you, I don't worry because I have a God that loves me. I have a God that's in control. And that God loves you too. Some of Jesus' last words on earth, Matthew chapter 28, we know him well. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands that I have given you. Be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God is always looking for men and women who are caught up in the passion of going out into the world and making disciples, teaching them and baptizing them. Elijah stands before the people and says, man up, make a decision, love the Lord your God and follow him with all your heart and soul and spread the word. Listen, my family and I chose to leave Malibu Beach for a riverfront view. (laughs) Why? Because we believe this is a church and a people that's buying into the Great Commission with all of our hearts and souls. Christianity is not not to be static. Christianity is not a bunch of us sitting around talking about how much Jesus loves us and walking home and feeling good about that. That is not 
with Christianity. That's part of it. That sweet, sweet fellowship is absolutely a part of it. You need to be in small groups. We need to be small groups so where they're getting strengthened, but we're getting strengthened to do something. Christianity is not static. We're called to go into all the world. For most of us, that means the world right next door, the office right next door, the cubicle right next door, the desk at school, uh, family reunions. I know, I don't go to those either. We're to be a people in a church that is caught up and passionate about leading to the world around us of Jesus because the alternative is hell. John said this in 1 John chapter 5, Jesus' other best friend, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and that life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Without Jesus, there is no eternal life. Hell is the alternative. An eternity separated from God. We are to be God's answer to a confused world. But you've got to take that answer out to the confused world. Christianity is not static. You want to be a part of defeating the evil in this world? Are you tired of it, folks? I am. Do you want to see God's kingdom right here and now? Do you want to live in a world where children and people are valued and loved? Then lead this world to God, to a God who loved them up and died for them. I think about these young men that are going to these schools and killing people. And do you know what my first thought always is? What if some godly man had got a hold of that kid and discipled him? What if some godly man had just walked up to that kid and said, dude, there's a God who loves you. Let's head out to Starbucks and talk about that guy. And by the way, there's a group that meets in my house every Monday night. I want you to be a part of that. What what if some godly man had just said, dude, you are amazing. God loves you. You are a beautiful person. Let me talk to you. That, that is gun control. That is gun control. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. I'm not advocating one or the other. But if we would grab a hold of these people and lead them to Jesus and love them and pour into them, sometimes get out of our holy huddles and get into hell's kitchen and lead people to Jesus and look like Jesus, that, that will change this world. How people fall so in love with Jesus, but they can't help but change and turn a dark world into a place filled with joy and hope. We, we are God's answer to a confused world. Let me pray. God, we are passionate about you. I'm here to tell you, God, to to say before you that Crossroads Christian Church and our people are passionate about you. We are passionate about taking your son to a dying world. We're passionate about loving young men and loving young women to the point where they say, I am so valuable. I am worth so much. And that I want to now spread that love of God. We are passionate. God, use us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, precious be your We are passionate about you, God. Use us, bless us, Father, that we might bless and pour out for you. And we ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. God bless, guys. God bless. Thank you so much.